Welcome to the Co-Mission Podcast, a place to hear talks, teaching, and conversations from across the Co-Mission Network. This week, we're kicking off our podcast with the main session talks from Revive 2018, Co-Mission's annual Bible Festival. Today, guest speaker Stephen Moussa Komoye, Director of Servants of the Word School of Ministry in the Gambia, preaches from Romans 10, verses 9 to 17. Well, what a great opportunity you English people have with language. Very dominant globally. It made me think of the Genesis 11 crisis. Many languages and the confusion that went with it. And so as I was preparing, I've been thinking of relationships greatly. And the role language plays in that, particularly thinking of Genesis 11 and uh, the human crisis and the confusion. In the New Testament, I thought of something other than language for one of the challenges we face when we come together like this. Act 6, it was not language, but food. And I've been thinking, I would have been very happy to come back another time if you gave me fufu. (laughs) But there's nothing like fufu in the kitchen. But food was a crisis in that assembly of God's people. So there are so many things that either bring us together or when we try to come together that rock the boat a little. Uh, Some years ago, we had a situation in the Gambia. Three men traveled a long way to come to the city to look for a Fulani pastor. It was in the month of Ramadan. And they spent two weeks in the city going from church to church. They couldn't settle in anyone. They had a question on their mind, how to be saved. They were all adult men. And they said, we have been doing the same things over and over from since we were born up to today, and we still have no peace. And they have heard that in the Gambia there was one Fulani pastor, and they were fuller. So I started thinking, why were they looking for this particular pastor? Well, one, he spoke their language. And many other things go with that. So if you were a missionary and you came to preach to my tribe, the Mende people, I found that it's very helpful if you knew the name for God. In my language, it's Gewo, and it literally means Asian sky. That the sky was here many, many years ago, and it ruled over the people, but there was so much confusion among the people. He couldn't bear it, their, their differences, their crisis, everything. So he went up so high in order to have his peace. But what's the relevance of that? So the Mende people believe that Gewo, Asian sky, is so far away you can't reach him. You need a mediator. And so the ancestral spirits and all the other things that fit in there to fulfill that role. But if you came from outside, I think they are superstitious. 
But on deeper consideration, you will see how the message of the gospel fits in there so perfectly because there is no better mediator between man and God than Jesus. So cross-cultural mission is good if we wrestle with the challenges and the issues involved. And so the letter we, that we had read, Romans, uh, is written by a very experienced missionary and church planter with at least 25 years in the business of taking the gospel to people of many different nations. He's done three missionary journeys. And he felt it was important to write a clear message. What is the gospel? Because the question those three men came to ask, how to be saved, needs all the attention to explain. And that is what Paul tried to do here. But also very important to ask for support from this thriving church, a church with a reputation for their faith, so that they will also be part of those sending him to take the gospel specifically to Spain. So let's look at two points from the passage that was read to us in chapter 9 to 11. The relationship between uh, the two groups in the church in Rome is not particularly going well. And it's not just about language or food. I'm sure there were lots of other things in there. But a clear understanding of the cross, the gospel, should make the whole difference, whatever their differences are. So let's look at verse 9 to 13. There is only one way to be saved. Whether for those three fuller men in Gambia or to end for anyone else, wherever you may be. Uh, there is a subject of the law, and that makes the passage a bit complicated, and I'm not going to go into those issues. I'll leave that for Richard <laughs> and for someone else to tackle. But the, the key point about the law, two things really to remember is that first of all, the law is good because it's given by God. Maybe what we need to wrestle with is the proper understanding of it. And there's general agreement that that is where the Jews failed, the proper understanding of the law. The law was to be a teacher. And what it teaches in summary is that everyone is imperfect. That's what it reminds us of. And that being the case, everyone needs a savior. Uh, in verse 4, we are told that Jesus is the end to the law. In two senses. One, because he was the goal. Jesus himself says all of the scriptures are about him and pointing to him. And after his death and resurrection, it has been fulfilled completely, perfectly. So why do we need to believe? Because we are in need of a savior. We need forgiveness. We are all sinners. We are guilty. We are condemned. We are under the wrath of God. And Romans says we are without excuse. If you are a religious person like 
were what I was, you would say, but that's not true. I'm a good person. I've never killed anybody. I've never stolen. I've never done anything wrong. And I do all my prayers every day. You're still guilty. And condemned. And under the wrath of God. And without excuse. So verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What does it mean to believe? It's to have strong persuasion, to be persuaded to place your confidence in the gospel, in the word, in the Lord, and to rely upon it. But there's a second part. There's a declaration that needs to be made. It's to confess. How do we confess? Most people will say, well, religion is a private matter. It's between I and the Lord. Yeah, that's true. That's where it begins. But that declaration needs to be made public. Both as the initial step to faith and continuously. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 32, if you are ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you. But first of all, you need this initial step of declaring based on hearing the word and being convinced of it, being persuaded. There are two key things to believe in this passage. What do you believe? The death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul states this elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me read verse 1 to 4. He said, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold on firmly to the word I preached to you. And then he comes to the point. What is the gospel? For what I received, I pass unto you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is at the center of the message of the gospel. Paul says to the Corinthians that when I came among you, I didn't care to know anything else. I didn't come to you with superior uh, knowledge or eloquence, nothing else. But three things Paul says he cared to know was the word, the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that your faith does not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That power is best demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he also says at the beginning of this letter that 
Jesus was proved by the spirit of holiness to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. And on the basis of that, he said, we have received grace and apostleship to call people from all nations to the obedience of faith. The death and the resurrection of Jesus is very crucial. And this is the message of the apostles all throughout uh, the Bible. We are told that in the lifetime of Jesus, the disciples did not really refer to him as the Lord. And we can imagine what, how difficult that would be for a Jew to ascribe to a person they see and know as one of them as the Lord. Extremely difficult. But we see through the pages of the scripture that after the resurrection, for instance, Thomas, the doubter, he said, I won't believe until I see the holes of the nails in the palms of his hand and the hole in the side. And Jesus appeared to him. What was his response? My Lord and my God. The resurrection. Peter, in his message, his first sermon in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, he told the Jews that you kill him, but God has made him Lord by the resurrection. He told Cornelius and the people who have gathered in it. So he said, Jesus is Lord of all. And later on in 1 Peter, he actually says, Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is Adonai. Oh, taste and see that Jehovah is good. Referring to Jesus. And Paul follows in that, uh, in that same line. He invited sinners to come to Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord. How do we know? The resurrection. He called upon the saints to look to Jesus for deliverance. Because he is Lord, how do we know? By his resurrection. So Jesus is Lord, tells us about his supreme authority, sovereignty, and judge of all. And that is being demonstrated by the resurrection. What does it mean to be saved? Because it says if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and declare if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for sin and he rose from the dead and you declare it by saying Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. In my context, salvation has many different meanings to many different people from many different religious backgrounds. But the key point in scripture to note, and which is very good for my own people, and in my own context, is the emphasis on the spiritual and eternal deliverance granted by God to everyone who believe in Jesus, his death and resurrection, and his lordship. It has a present dimension. It has a future dimension. So yes, even though salvation includes every other blessing that God has promised, the spiritual eternal deliverance is most key. In my place, we have a problem. 
Because we come to Jesus with many different expectations. Most of them not spiritual. For instance, if somebody is sick, and particularly when there are no doctors or very few doctors, people want healing. So they go to a healing meeting. And if somebody gets healed, then they say the, they, they say the sinner's prayer. Jesus becomes the big marabou, the healer. That's okay, it's biblical, but that's not the reason for asking how can I be saved. And there are many other things that fit in there. You will know a lot about the gospel that is being referred to as prosperity gospel. A whole lot of other things fit in there. Look at verse 11 to 13. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone. So here, it goes back to that same deliverance, spiritual and eternal deliverance. Now, but also then. So there is the assurance Christianity is not like other religions. In my former religion, after you have done all what that needs to be done, you still are not sure. You only hope and wish that perhaps on the day of judgment, the scales might weigh heavily on the side of the good things recorded for you. So every time you pray, when you finish praying, you turn to your left, there is an angel there who records the good things. You greet him, and then he will enter the scores. You also turn to your right, and the angel who is there who records the bad things, you greet him, and he will record. So, you want your scale to be heavier on the good side. But even that, you are still not sure. Until that day here, the Christian faith offers that assurance, not just now, but for all eternity. And there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who calls upon his name. Everyone, regardless of where you are from, what your background is, what you have done, we have been told that this morning already. Everyone. Everyone. Uh, there's a little challenge with justification here, particularly for people from my own culture. Because justification carries much of the legal sense, and we cannot really win the debate in a legal sense with people from my background because they will say, it is not legal, it is not right. God will be unrighteous to allow Jesus to die on the cross. Because every person should pay for their own wrongdoing. So God will be unrighteous to let Jesus die. So Jesus didn't die. No. God could not allow Jesus to die. He replaced him with someone else that looked like him. So there's a little bit of challenge there. So I prefer talking about 
both the justice and the mercy. Because mercy is relatively easier to understand. There's God's justice, but equally there's God's mercy. Why would Jesus die on the cross? Where that mercy is a doorway to explain grace. And that's powerful. In the New Testament, we will see that many people struggle in many different ways with these issues. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Jews demanded for miracles. So I thought, all right, okay, it's not just the Africans. The Jews also want to see miracles. They want spiritual proof. If all what you're saying is true, let me see it. Let me have proof. Say the Greeks, and English people are close to the Greeks, they demand for wisdom. You need to give me a philosophical, logical explanation that is convincing. Scripture says none of that except the resurrection. No other proof except the resurrection. And we see in the Bible, people from different nations all over the place coming to faith without either the miracles or the great wisdom that is demanded. Rahab is one of my favorites for two reasons. One, her tribe. They were under judgment to be destroyed and wiped out completely. But also what she lived for as a prostitute. I struggled with that story for many, many years. How could Rahab become one of the ancestors of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I can't explain that humanly. But she made it. She got engrafted into God's family. Why? She had the word of the Lord and she believed. What about Ruth the Moabite from a forbidding nation? In Deuteronomy, God has said Moabite should not be allowed into the assembly of God's people. But Ruth made it. Why? She heard about the revival in Israel. She believed she got engrafted. This morning we heard about the Ethiopian eunuch and everything that was against him. But he heard the message. He believed and he was engrafted. What about Cornelius? The European. So Canaanite, Moabite, African, European. Cornelius is described as a good man. He was generous, very kind. It is even said that he was a man of prayer and God-fearing. But it's interesting to know that he needed to hear the gospel. Everything else he was doing was good, but the cross was not at the center of it. And so it was incomplete. He needed to hear the gospel. And when he heard, he believed he got Engrafted. Well, not just about this Bible characters, we have struggles too that we 
wrestle with in putting our trust in the gospel. Sometimes in the church, there are people with Christian background, and yet they struggle to come to faith, or they struggle with the faith they already have. Am I really a Christian? Or maybe you enter a period of doubt and you are wondering, is this really true? Sometimes we have experiences that make us begin to doubt. It could be a childhood experience that has stayed on your mind. It could be a broken marriage. It could be bereavement. There are many strands of struggles. It could be with your children. Maybe one turning away from the Lord. We, we have our own struggles. But the assurances, verse 11 says, Scripture. Scripture, and that is the anchor. Scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, no matter what happens. So whatever those struggles are, there is assurance that God's salvation is both now and always for all eternity. But everyone needs a conversion experience. And it comes in many different ways. For some people, it's a long journey, a slow journey, a slow lane, a fast lane, short length of distance, long time. Whatever it is, every person needs a conversion experience. And conversion involves two things. Repentance, turning away from sin, and then faith, turning to Christ. We need both. Sometimes some people turn away from sin. They stop doing all the bad things, bad things in quote, but do not really turn to Christ in faith. You cannot be saved that way. Turn from sin and turn to Christ. This is inseparable. So maybe you are here and you are in that category of struggling people. It will be good to consider seriously. First of all, whether you had a genuine conversion experience, turning away from sin and turning to Christ by faith. If you have, be assured that that is for all eternity. If you haven't, it will be good to do it. Believing that Jesus died for sin and was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. And confessing that. Think about that for a few seconds. You may want to do that now. You may want to talk to someone about it afterwards. But everyone needs a clear conversion experience. That brings me to my second point. People cannot be saved unless someone takes the gospel to them. So going is beautiful, really beautiful. But there are two things to mention. There are two groups of people, the listeners or the receivers, and then the preachers or the goers. Firstly, the receivers and the listeners, how then can they call 
on the one who have not believed in. So the listener or the receiver has the responsibility to call on the name of the Lord. And how can they believe in one of whom they have not heard? The listener or the receiver has the responsibility to hear and to believe with the heart. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Look at verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So we see that hearing does not necessarily mean people receive or believe or hear with the heart and respond. So hearers have a responsibility. Everyone has the responsibility to hear, and not just with the ears, but believing with the heart and responding by calling on the name of the Lord. In Isaiah's day, from where this passage, this verse is quoted, the kings of the nations to whom the message was declared, they didn't believe. In Paul's day, the majority of the Jews didn't believe either. Is it because they have own heart? No, they had, but they didn't believe. So when we hear, we have the responsibility, not just to hear with the ears, but with the heart, and to believe and to respond to that message by receiving it. Abraham is a good example. Romans chapter 4, in verse 18 to 22, we're told that Abraham's body was as good as dead because he was 100 years old. Yet he did not waver in his faith. He believed that the one who has promised that is God, he has the power to do what he says he will do. So against all the impossible odds, Abraham believed. His wife, we're also told in that passage, verse 18 to 22, that her womb was dead. And if I explain that story, I refer to God's mercy and his grace. Because in legal terms, Abraham and Sarah had lost their chance. They were expired. They didn't have the right or the chance anymore to have a child. But God, in his mercy, poured grace upon them. But Abraham believed against that odd. What about the preacher and the goers? Well, it's a good thing Isaiah pictured Herod's running or walking or trekking across the desert to announce that, hey, the time of bondage of deliverance is over. Restoration has come. And that was good news to declare where Paul is saying in our time, in fact, Isaiah's picture was limited. We have the full picture in Christ. And the best of all deliverance, not only from political oppressors or regimes, we have lots of them in my continent, or terrible economic situations, or terrible epidemics like Ebola that wipes out thousands of people, the true deliverance is from a far greater oppressor, tyrant, dictator, sin. 
in Christ Jesus. Um, there's an article in the book Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. And Walter Kaiser refers to the calling and the opportunities that the Jews had and their response to that. And he says it was a failure. He lists many opportunities that they had along with their calling. I won't go into that. But he talks about two things. He said there's an expansive force and an attractive force locked in the opportunities God gave to the Jews. So that in the temple, people were to come from all the nations all over. And we have seen Rahab, Ruth, the Ethiopian, you know, Cornel, everybody. They were to come to the blessing. But also the Jews were to take the blessing to the nations. That's the expansive force. Walter Kaiser says they failed. They failed to do that. They were reluctant. So Richard's book on Jonah, the reluctant evangelist, it's a very good book to read because Jonah typified the situation of how reluctant the Jews were with all the opportunities given to them. And some of those are mentioned here in Romans. They were reluctant to go to the nations. God has to use a string means of transport to bring Jonah to Nineveh. But the people had the message. They believed, they responded. They repented in sackcloth and ashes and fasting and prayer. And God saved them. He let his judgment pass over them. Another article in that same book by Johannes Vakup talks about the voluntary and involuntary going. Israel was reluctant to go. And even when people came from nations, they didn't feel welcome. You may want to think about why Jesus was so angry when he came to the temple and found people selling, doing merchandise. They had actually occupied the Gentile courts. The courts allocated for people from all the nations to come and be part of the blessing. They have taken that over and turned it into a mall. Jesus couldn't stand it. He did what could have been criminal in our time. Because he made a whip and beat them physically and threw down their goods, scattered them. He reminded them that God had said, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. So Johannes Vakuk talk about voluntary and involuntary going. See, Israel was withholding the blessing. So God, over a period of time, gave them a gentle push, sometimes a hard kick in the bottom. <laughs> One example is Joseph. Joseph ended up in Egypt. He never had a plan to be a blessing to Egypt and to the rest of the world. But he ended up being a great blessing. Daniel and his three friends in Babylon, they never planned a mission trip to Babylon. They ended there. And they became linked to God's blessing. 
for that powerful Babylonian kingdom. So there is voluntary and involuntary going. There is an attractive and an expansive force. The question now is, is the church any different? It's good to look at the reluctance of the Jews. But are we any different? Here are four indicators to check. The first one is finance. Statistics tells us, and this is from the Christian global Christian annual giving, that 98.1% of Christian earnings in North America and Europe is used on self. And only 1.8% is given to the work of the church at home. 0.1% is given to foreign mission. Are we any different from the Jews? And it says about church spending that 87% of the income of the church is spent on domestic projects. 12% to regular mission and 1% to frontier mission. Another indicator is distribution of cross-cultural workers. And the statistic says 80% of cross-cultural workers are among rich people groups. Only 20% to unreached or least rich people groups. Third indicator, Bible translation, and I found this very interesting, that out of the 6909 spoken languages, translations have been done in 457 only. But it's interesting to know that there are over 500 versions of the English Bible. What about that? In fact, I said to Mark the other day that you people, you are getting us confused. We are struggling to move from the authorized King James Version to NIV, and then we move to ESV, and then now we can't get NIV except the 2011 version on the phone. We can't read it on the phone. How different are we from the Jews? Christian literature. The statistics also say that from the catalog of Christian books and items, 97% of books written are about self-development. So the remaining 3% goes for everything else, including front, frontier mission. Well, let me conclude by saying it has been said, but to say it again. Going is beautiful. And the church must send. But the church cannot send unless someone steps forward and say, I will go. Here am I, Lord, send me. You could be that one person. Think about it. Where you may say, I don't have theological training and I don't have this and I don't have that. Actually, God does not use experts. He uses weak, 
ignorant people and then make them into experts for what you want them to do. So no excuse. You just need to have a willing heart. I didn't know anything about the Bible or in the Bible. I couldn't even speak English. When I went to school, I was wondering, why do I have to learn English? And I asked my headmaster, and he said, well, that's what the government says. <laughs> but now I, I thank God it's a good thing because I can communicate with you. So that's good. But someone needs to go. Also, everyone needs to get involved. You may say, well, I cannot go to Gambia. Maybe it's too hot. <laughs> you can reach nations in London. And you can actually reach Gambians in London. So you get no excuse. If you can't go to Gambia, you can reach the nations in London. You might be that person. The Lord is calling to do that. I met a student in the early years of our ministry in the Gambia. He was from neighboring Guinea-Bissau. They speak Portuguese. Bom dia. Como estás? Obrigado. So Fernando came to study at the college, teacher training college in Gambia and for three years. But I was discipled on campus to know that I have the responsibility to take the gospel to other people, particularly my own people. And that was my understanding. So we also taught Fernando that, hey, you say your nation don't have this opportunity for students in your universities, you may be the one the Lord is calling. We disciple, had discipleship relationship three years. He went back, he gathered the leaders of his church. They invited me and came. And now they have a ministry to students, the GBU, Guinea-Bissau, running on its own. So nobody is left out. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a role. Everyone needs to get involved. And you may be that person. Listen to what John Stott says. This was at the Lausanne Convention in 1974. He said, mission is an activity of God arising out of the very nature of God. And the living God of the Bible is ascending God. Which is what mission means. The God sent the prophets. He sent his only begotten son to the world. The son sent the apostles and the 70 and the whole church. So Luzan has, the Luzan movement have this slogan. The whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. And that involves each person who is in the Lord. You may still be wondering, how will I know that I am that person? Where well, there are mission agencies here at this meeting. You can talk to them. We have enjoyed 
the services of Crosslinks for nearly 15 years. Gap year students come for five months. Short term has come over summer for two weeks, even one week. So again, you have no excuse. What about planning your holiday and then putting some gospel engagement in there? Think about it. Let's pray. Lord, your word is life, your word is health, your word is powerful, your word is sharper than the double-edged sword. May this word pierce our hearts and bring us to repentance that we may come to faith. May this word pierce our hearts so that we will step forward to take the gospel to the nations here in London and overseas for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow, Richard Perkins on 1 Corinthians 9. For more on Commission's commitment to cross-cultural mission in London and to the world, visit us at commission.org slash mission.